This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 323 of The Yellow Report. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will preview once again the Revier Derby, a ghost game as Lars Pormann likes to say. Hello Lars, how are you doing? Hello Stefan, I'm doing fine. Uh, I don't like saying it, but I mean that's quite <laughs> literally the translation. So I yes. don't know, if, is, 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 there a, is there a fixed English language term for that phenomenon? I don't think so. Uh, no, the English language is quite limited, um, but yeah, also limited is our panel because Konstantin uh, Eckner has better things to do apparently and Matthias Zug unfortunately has an internet outage in Colorado. Um, that's, I guess, the uh, disadvantage when you live in the beautiful mountainscape. So Lars and I will have to preview everything from top to bottom ourselves now, um, which is not very nice, I, I will say anywho um we also do not have a sponsor for this episode which is uh, also not very well received i have to say but uh, nevertheless we will uh, carry on us and um i guess before we talk about the derby uh, once again uh, we will or shall discuss the rule change because now it's official um now borussia dortmund are or also schalke and the other bundesliga teams are all uh, allowed to make five substitutions uh, can you quickly summarize what exactly that rule shift means? How do you think it's implemented? Good, bad? Uh, it means <laughs> quite simply <laughs> that instead of three substitutions uh, till the end of the season, whenever that may be, I mean, currently in Germany, we are thinking of including relegation playoffs and, and you know, cup final and stuff the first week of July. Um, until then, all teams can make five substitutions instead of three. Um, but it's not like you can make five single changes. You only have the three stoppages plus half time, I guess, as you usually would have. So that means if you want to exercise your additional substitutions, you have to make a double or triple or quadruple or quintuple substitution, which would be very fun to see. But um, yeah, I think as we kind of talked about last week in the Q&A episode, I'm not sure how much this will actually change. I think I'm generally against the idea, perhaps on the basis of the better teams don't need additional advantages over smaller clubs um, you know it's a side like Paderborn or Mainz or whoever's in the in the on, in the back end of the of the league table I don't know that they have 16 players on a level that you would say they actually all have to play on Saturdays or you know in during the midweeks fixtures whereas Dortmund especially someone like Bayern obviously and, and Leipzig and Gladbach they have such deep squads and and benches that you know they have a potentially at least an, a, a real advantage so 
on the other hand, there's a, a tactical aspect that I do like. And kind of feels a bit like, I, I want to almost say an Americanization in, in terms of you can make line changes uh, like in ice hockey. I mean, theoretically, you could bring on three fresh attackers at the same time and completely change the complexion of the game or bring on two strong aerial presences if you're chasing a game or if you need to head away, you know, 15 corners. So as, as we kind of joked last week, uh, Lucien Favre might bring on two extra central defenders instead of one now uh, to, to defend the lead late. Uh, so from from that tactical perspective, it, it, it offers some intriguing possibilities. But again, I'm not sure that we are going to see too much of it. And I'm certainly quite happy with the fact that it's not going to lead to more uh, time wasting because that's that would be against the idea of the rule as well. Because obviously this isn't uh, meant to be a tactical tool in in both sporting and you know fair play sense or whatever you want to call it. But it. It's actually so players have a bit more rest after not playing for nine weeks and having to play in a much tighter schedule than the, most of them are used to because obviously you have uh, nine or ten games in, in the case of Bremen and Frankfurt who have a game in hand. Uh, you have to play these nine or ten games in the span of six weeks, which, you know, Unless you're a regular in Europe, you're not, you're you're not used to that kind of rhythm as a Bundesliga player. Yeah, and I will add that I think um, from a sports science perspective, it it might also take a knock on on players to have a break, which is rather unscheduled. And uh, you know, if you have this uh, long term cycle of uh, you know playing and then have a winter break and a summer break, then uh, you know a, a break at a at a moment where you actually not uh, foresee it that obviously might also have uh, repercussions on, on your body. Um, but uh, I'm not a sports scientist, so I'm just speculating here. Um, but we have a bonus question from at Shifty Razzie, and he asks, uh, will Favre use a sub before the 80th minute? Which is a very good question, Lars. Yeah, I mean, uh, Adam Dorowski, I think we can call him a friend of the show. Uh, what's his hand? Is it at Fußball Twit? Yes. Uh, he actually made, you know, a short study, if you like, on Twitter today, uh, which is Thursday and will have been online Thursday afternoon German time if you want to go look for it. <laughs> I do that right now because I haven't seen it. Yeah, maybe we can retweet it from the Yellow Wallpot account. And he actually made a, you know, a short study into Lucien Favre's usage of substitutions and kind of debunks some myths and theories on his... Uh, lack of using them if that makes sense so I think this is more of a talking point which isn't really backed up by data if you like I think Farfel is more or less in line with most other coaches in the terms of how he uses substitutions it's just that sometimes he makes those late decisions when they don't work out you know bringing on Ömer Toprak to defend the lead and then conceding the third goal against Hoffenheim or whatever it was that kind of sticks in, in your memory. But, I mean, he also uh, regularly brought on Paco Alcázar last year and Erling Haaland at the start of his Dortmund career and, and had all these uh, uh, joker goals, as we say in Germany, goals uh, coming from subbed on players. So it's not like uh, Favre is completely clueless when it comes to substitutions. Yeah, he actually also uh, made a nice overview of uh, uh, the... Uh, uh 
games or most games as an unused sub this season for Borussia Dortmund and uh, Marvin Hitz as the second goalkeeper is obviously leading in that with 19 behind that is Dahoud with 15 Balerdi 14 Schulz 13 Schmelzer 12 and Maroy 12 Brünnlarsen 11 Zagadou and Götze 10 times uh, as an unused sub on the bench so uh, just to add a little bit of data but um, you know before we talk any more about potential substitution patterns um, in potential stages of uh, our speculative game um, let's talk <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about um, the fact that uh, both Emre Can and uh, Axel Witzel aren't there and uh, if, if we know Axel Witzel he is uh, a very uh, big fan of that particular duo in midfield me and I, Emre fantastic so um, Lars without the uh, double pivot that helped Dortmund to quite a bit of success in uh, recent months. Uh, how do you see Dortmund lineup in probably the most crucial area of the midfield for the Revier Derby? Well, the good thing is there are a couple of options still. I mean, I think there we can remember times when players of that magnitude missing would have been an absolute calamity, and I don't think that's necessarily the case now. Um, I mean, we we all assume, I think, that Favre is going to stick with his tried and tested since December or so uh, back three, five-man midfield kind of deal or four-man if you call the two wingers uh, strikers or whatever. Um, so it's probably going to be uh, Julian Brandt and either Thomas Delaney or Mahmoud Dahoud and given the fact that it's a derby and Delaney uh, seems to be in good spirits and health after missing what's been a really long time now. I mean, he's had a couple of injuries that have kept him out since, I want to say, November. Might have been late October, might have been early December, but it's still a very long time. I don't I don't actually remember seeing him in this year's shirt, to be honest. Um, so he, he had a quite nondescript start of the season, I would say. Um, I think he from a profile and also from experience and also from his fit with what Julian Brandt brings to the table in the center of midfield might be a better option than Mahmoud Dahoud. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be Delaney and Brandt in the center, which is obviously exciting in terms of having Brandt there. Uh, not necessarily exciting to have Delaney in his first game back, but then again, it's the first game back for everyone. So, I mean, does it really matter if you've played nine weeks ago or if you've played three months ago, I think it probably doesn't. Yeah, I think it, it does level the playing field. And uh, as you said, from experience, we do know that uh, Thomas Delaney tends to have rather good games against Schalke. Um, I mean, he uh, he scored in the one derby that Dortmund won out of the last eight. <laughs> um, and if I remember correctly, he was maybe the man of the match from a Dortmund perspective in this utterly dreadful scoreless draw earlier this season on match day nine where uh, I think Dortmund Schalke were just one point apart uh, by now they are 14 points apart so that tells you a little bit about the uh, development of both clubs uh, since uh, they they met in I, I don't even know when that was to be honest I don't have it in front of me but uh, last year so yeah lots of things have happened um, and I think Thomas Delaney should um, be a very uh, astute 
replacement. Um, do you remember whether we've seen this particular combination in midfield at some point with Brandt and Delaney maybe in a, in a test match or something? Stefan, are you asking me about friendlies? <laughs> yeah. After nine weeks of coronavirus <laughs> break, I, I barely remember what everybody's faces looked like nine weeks ago. Yeah, fair enough. Um <laughs> I don't know. It was it would have been just nice to uh, maybe have a couple of observations if if uh, at hand. But since we don't, um, you know, the the only question mark behind uh, Julian Brandt obviously is sometimes his defensive contribution. But I don't know how uh, that looks like in the derby because we can see that he is able to switch it on uh, if he really wants to. But the uh, question is uh, if that's the sort of game where he does it or not. Um, so obviously. Um, Witzel and Jan aren't the only injuries. Uh, Dortmund will also have to do without Dan Axel Zagadou. Um, how do you think that will impact the backline? I mean, in terms of personnel, it's quite obvious that Manuel Akanji is going to get the nod at left center half. Uh, not necessarily his best position, I would say, but I mean, for all the flag we've given him, he's still a capable defender in when he's not on a completely terrible day. And um, he also recently became a father for the first time. So uh, congrats are in order there. And maybe that's something that propels him to finding the form that he had shown for Dortmund until, you know, he completely fell off the cliff kind of, uh, you know, start of 2019, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, this, I think, would tend a little bit like a restart for a lot of players. I, I think, uh, you know, from a sport psychological point of view, um, if things weren't going for you, this is probably how you would uh, take this sort of uh, restart. Um, so I, I will hope that uh, he finds a, a better way in, into this game. Um, I I mean, for for Dortmund, the first 10 minutes are often quite important and how they find into rhythm and into uh, the game. Um, I don't even know if they are going to be more nervous or less nervous. I mean, uh, it's obviously a very big game, but I don't know how a big game will feel like. And uh, I mean, at uh, today's press conference, Michel Zorc was asked... Uh, you know, about how, how he feels about a ghost game uh, and especially a derby. And he said, yeah, well, I never had a derby like that. So I'll, I can only tell you after the game. And, and I guess uh, that's the, the one correct answer because we really don't know how anything will affect anyone. And, uh, you know, I, I guess in a couple of weeks, if, you know, things don't come to a sudden halt, uh, we, we will know more. But uh, for now, uh, let's just focus a little bit on, on the footballing prospects. Um, Schalke, of course, are not in the greatest shape going into this game um, before the break. I don't know um, whether they uh, have the potential to drastically improve. Um, how do you think David Wagner's team will set up in this game? And how do you think uh, their strategy will look like? Well, Schalke do get some injured players back, uh, not all of them, uh, but, you know, um, I mean, it's difficult to say all, all of these sporting questions are, you know, anyone's good guess. I mean, I think we, we have a somewhat solid understanding of Dortmund just because, you know, we've, we watch them all the time. We kind of understand the thinking or the thought processes, processes of a guy like Favre, but, you know, 
I can't, with all honesty, say that I uh, study David Wagner at Schalke enough to, <laughs> you know, to give an honest assessment after nine weeks of not, uh, you know, being able to see them even once. I mean, uh, I think we talked about last week a little bit, or maybe that was uh, someone uh, some somewhere else. But I mean, Schalke have only scored like three goals uh, in the seven or so games before the coronavirus break. Four uh, so, in 2020 and none on the road. Yeah, so, I mean, there's that. <laughs> Obviously, they have some problems in creating chances, I would say, uh, safely deduce from that, I would say. Well, apparently, um, I, I just read on uh, the, the infogoal.net preview ha also says that they have like the second worst XG conversion rate in the Bundesliga. So maybe it's not just creating chances, but also lackluster finishing. But uh, I mean, if you only score four goals in the time frame where Arling Haaland scores nine, uh, you probably do have some problems with your goal scoring as a whole team. And chance yeah, creation. I, mean, I, I, I think Guido Burgstaller, uh, Guido, sorry, Burgstaller. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he, he really wants people to know it's not Guido, it's Guido. Okay. I'm not sure he knows about the connotation in American English. Um, Are you saying he has not I, watched Jersey Shore? <laughs> yeah, or any Marv movies or whatever. Um, he doesn't have a Bundesliga goal this season, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, Rabi Matondo maybe has one. Uh, Benito Raman, he, he has like four or something. So they, they don't have... Uh, a a striker that you know strikes fear in Dortmund's hearts from from the get go. But I mean, whatever we say in front of or ahead of uh, Revier derbies has kind of fallen flat on our faces in the last few years because Schalke, as opposed to Dortmund, seem to find another gear in Revier derbies, especially when they're on paper the worst team. I would actually uh, like counter that a little bit because I do think that Dortmund find another gear in the Riviera Derby as well. Just just, the, just the reverse. A second reverse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, uh, Schalke seemed to thrive on being the underdog in the Riviera Derby, whereas Dortmund seemed to have problems with being the favorite. So, in 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 a twisted sense, it might actually be, in that case, a positive for Dortmund that there's no. Uh, a crowd in the stadium in, in that sense that you know Schalke can't feed off the negative emotion of the Dortmund people and, and feed, feed off that kind of extra motivation which is something uh, Bayern often talk about you know uh, uh, someone like Oliver Kahn always said that there's no better feeling than going into the stadium and everybody hates you I mean that there seem to be clubs and, and players but, but Schalke as a team I mean it doesn't really matter it, it seems like anyway over the last few years anyway uh, doesn't really matter who's on the pitch for them. The the team as a whole seems to get better in Revier derbies against Dortmund when Dortmund on paper are quite quite obviously the better side, which is still the case here. Even though obviously the the, the playing field might be a bit leveled and Dortmund aren't in you know full capacity in terms of personnel. Yeah, I mean, I I assume this will have a bit of a preseason friendly feeling, just in in terms of uh, you know unforced errors. So um, this is also why I, you know, predict a more high-scoring game than usual because I think um, that uh, these errors uh, can be taken advantage of. But maybe uh, I'm completely wrong, and all these errors happen in the uh, final third and in the build-up, and the lack of precision uh, is then Dortmund's downfall or Schalke's downfall or whatever. Um, 
But yeah, we have a question from M underscore BVB 1909. And uh, he or she asks, who does the enforce break favor more, BVB or the Smurfs? Um, it, it's, I mean, clearly Schalke. <laughs> uh, because they were in, in a relatively poor or torrid t- uh, uh, run of form in 2020. I mean, you, you earlier referenced uh, the two teams being only one point apart. Uh, at the point of the first Revier derby of the season, they actually were one point apart at the halfway point of the season. So the the difference Dortmund have made up in the uh, eight games of the second half of the season, and not you know the sixteen uh, or seventeen since the first Revier derby. So that kind of shows you both that Dortmund were in a good run of form, but also Schalke were in a bad run of form. We we've mentioned there problems in front of the opponent's goal previously so for them the break i mean that there was no run to to break really i mean for them uh not continuing on a bad run of form with a lot of players missing was probably a godsend in some ways but obviously uh you also had the financial issues at schalke which you know seemed to be much more dramatic than anyone predicted so if uh, uh, the players kind of got wind of that and, and took note of it because you know there was not much else for them to do obviously when, when everybody was staying home I think you probably followed the news around your club even if you're typically not ne- necessarily too involved in that uh, um, maybe that has kind of a psychological effect but overall I think uh, we, we mentioned last week that Dortmund were maybe the worst off in terms of you know the ghost games and and being the only unbeaten team in germany in front of their home fans and not having them for the two biggest games of the season and the same can now be said in reverse for schalke who might actually be among all 18 bundesliga clubs one of them one of those who profit the most from this break yeah i mean Again, it's only speculation, um, uh, but it's it's going to be interesting also with the perspective that A, the last derby in Dortmund, the infamous 4-2 loss, um, was, I guess, the, the one and only home loss for Lucien Favre, if I'm not mistaken. And of course, um, if we look at the Bundesliga table right now, Dortmund are four points of Bayern and... Uh, Schalke are, I think, 10 or 12 points off the top five. And so for Schalke, it really is, you know, mostly about the Europa League spot. But, you know, from, from a more cynical perspective, I would say that this is going to be Schalke's biggest game of the season now, um, just because their remaining schedule isn't all that interesting. And also because, um, Basically, they can ruin Dortmund's season and that's pretty much all they can do at this point. Um, I don't know how vital it is for them to qualify for the Europa League because I don't know if there will be one anytime soon and I also don't know um, whether the couple of extra millions will really uh, help them out in a the, in the big way or not, if they should get them, you know. So um, I, I think for, for Schalke, this is uh, another big opportunity to rain on Dortmund's parade. Meanwhile, Dortmund really will have to try and, and get you know, the groove going because, as you said on the last show, I think if Dortmund uh, want to win the championship, they at least have to win eight of the re- last remaining nine games. So, um, yeah, this is, this is going to be a big game for, for Schalke and obviously also for Dortmund, uh, just in the sense that it's a Revier derby. But um, I, I think um, 
Schalke have uh, a little bit more negative motivation, if if you know what I mean. So um, yeah, uh, I'm I'm not looking forward to to that. But um, I think we should shift gears a little bit and uh, talk about something um, that might be or might have a bit more of a positive impact. And uh, I mean, the talk of Arling Haaland was obviously relatively huge and his impact was uh, immediately felt when he joined Dortmund but um, he's the type of striker where I'm especially looking for forward to seeing him in the high profile games for Dortmund which obviously are Schalke and Bayern and uh, I do think he is the type of player that strikes fears into the hearts of Schalke players and fans um, how do you foresee his impact because I don't think he is a player um that will be uh, faced too much by the interruption. No, I, I completely agree. I can basically picture him uh, punching frozen uh, pork uh, in, in Rocky style at home <laughs> or, you know, doing 3000 push-ups for the hell of it. I mean, he seems a bit like a, a, a maniac in a positive sense, uh, in, in a football positive sense. So... I could definitely see him coming out of the break without, you know, any kind of loss of performance or whatever. Um, he he doesn't strike me as someone, as you said, that's faced by, you know, kind of pressure of a, of a Revier derby and, and, and the likes. I mean, his scoring record in the Champions League this season for Salzburg and Dortmund was outstanding. He seems uh, to embrace, you know, the, the pressures of high-profile games, as you said, so... Uh, with his own profile in terms of strengths and weaknesses. I think he's not really the kind of striker you want to face in your first game back either, you know, because he's uh, quite big, uh, very good uh, technically, but also just lightning fast, which, uh, I mean, we some people may, may not remember uh, watching these games, but, I mean, you, you saw this lanky white dude who basically... When he's in full pelt, probably could hang a little bit with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. So uh, he's, as I said, not the kind of striker I want to face after nine weeks without any kind of match practice as a defender. So that certainly seems like an avenue potentially for success for Dortmund. Yeah, I mean, he scored nine goals alone in the Bundesliga um, in uh, just a brief amount of games. It's uh, quite uh, amazing how how well he performed and uh, I mean his his start was ginormous and he regressed a little bit to the mean in the end but uh, not not by much I want to say um, so he's still a very forceful weapon and uh, I think um, that is something that Dortmund will definitely need not only because you know the obvious scoring output but because um of of his uh, mentality on on the field, I think that that plays a big role and someone that's uh, very much up for the fight, even if he's only nineteen years old. Um, I think, as as we briefly you know hinted at, Dortmund <laughs> stuck in reverse gear in Revier derbies. Um, I I think um, it's it's not illegal to mention that Dortmund uh, shed their pants a couple of times in Revier derbies completely completely needlessly. I think the 4-2 loss uh, last season was one of the most epic BVB implosions I've, I've witnessed. So I really hope that uh, his tenacity can uh, 
really help the rest of the team. And I think when I look at Thomas Delaney in midfield, uh, he will uh, probably have a similar swagger going. So I'm not as worried right now about Dortmund's uh, shitting the bed as uh, other times for some reason. Uh, I think Arling Haaland uh, makes a big difference there. Um, but someone who um, is out for this game uh, is Marco Royce. And Marco Royce, I think in recent derbies, hasn't, uh, you know, performed at his very best i mean he was sent off in that infamous 4-2 loss um but otherwise um i think his derby performances have uh, you know been not up to the not up to the standard that you would expect marco royce to perform on um that being said uh, sadly he is out now he's a team captain he's a very important uh, part of this team but dortmund have managed to make do without him uh, for a couple of games now um, I think since he was out since February and um, uh, Torgen Hazard I think has done a, quite a good job and, and Julian Brandt as well but now um, with Julian Brandt probably being uh, dropped a little bit further back into the number 8 slot um, how do you think Dortmund will compensate that loss and who do you think will play at the number 10 position now uh, and do you think that Giorena will start? Basically, I'm expecting there not to be a number 10. Um, I think it's going to be uh, Brandt and Delaney in the center uh, and then Sancho and Azar flanking Haaland. So unless my maths are off. No, you're right. You're uh, right. I don't know why I yeah. was stuck in that 4-2-3-1 uh, system, but you're obviously completely right. Don't want to play with the back three and there is no number 10. So yes, correct. <laughs> Sorry uh, for napping here. Um, yeah, I, I think this will be the lineup with uh, Hazard and Sancho on the side. I mean, there, I, the, the, there is a somewhat interestingly uh, a lot of the the midweek uh, preview publications, whatever you want to call them, had uh, Hazard not starting. I think he also uh, recently had another child. I don't think it was uh, their first one. So he might have missed some time, but he's definitely in quasi-quarantine with the rest of the team, uh, unlike Witzel and Jan, so it, he's definitely available, but there seems to be, or there seemed to be, let's let's put it that way, I think recently, you know, previews have included him, but, you know, on, on, on like Tuesday or Wednesday morning, I think a couple of publications actually had Götze starting, which, you know, I don't really see how that would make sense, why they suddenly would turn to Götze. I think if for some reason... Uh, one of the three attacking players was unable to go. I think the knot would probably go to Gio Reyna, uh, just because Favre is obviously quite smitten with him, with good reason, because he's so unfazed with everything and, and you know, just so much potential and quality on the ball and whatnot. And, and you, would, you would think that this special derby uh, atmosphere or lack thereof uh, might actually be conducive to throwing in a young guy like that, because you would probably be a bit hesitant to uh, give Reyna the reins in, you know, starting 11 of a Bundesliga derby with 80,000 people in the stands and huge pressure. But with with no fans available and, you know, no sounds or very little sound or whatever, I'm, I'm not sure what Dortmund are going to do in terms of Nobby Dickel making announcements to no one in particular. <laughs> I I, um, I, th I think it's just going to be awkward enough that I can just see this happening, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, Nobby Dickel is always a bit awkward. 
uh, yeah, so I mean, that might be an argument to be made there that a start for Reina would probably make more sense than in any other Revier Derby, but I don't really see them going away from what has worked quite well with uh, Azar and Sancho flanking Haaland. Yeah, I, I agree, especially uh, when you have that many substitution possibilities. And I, I think um, we can briefly talk about this because um, I, I myself, I'm a little bit overwhelmed by uh, the uh, possibility of having five substitutions. Um, so how do you think uh, Favre, or in general, how do you think it should be utilized? Uh, who do you see um, you know, playing Dominic Santor as uh, at Santor95 on Twitter? Uh, any chance Rachel or Balerdi gets subbed on late in midfield? Uh, Balerdi being subbed on in midfield would be weird as he's a defender. Um, I wouldn't be shocked to see Rachel uh, just because, you know, the, the lack of personnel options. I mean, he, he should be on the bench with all the guys that are out. I mean, we've mentioned all but uh, Nico Schulz, who's also unavailable due to injury. So, I mean, you have five, if I'm not mistaken, players, uh, Zagadou, Witzelchan, Reus and Schulz, who would be uh, in the uh, matchday squad who are not going to be there and you don't, you, they don't have many more senior players available that could take the place of a rusher so he he might be on the bench and I mean let's assume he uses all five subs who are those going to be I mean uh, Rainer Dahoud Götze blank blank uh, probably a defender in there so Balerdi would make sense and then you are probably looking at Rusher or I don't even know who else would be available at this point Morey perhaps uh, if you want to bring on a winger so uh, I wouldn't look at it as much in terms of personnel because that's obviously going to fluctuate over the next few weeks. Uh, they don't expect John and Witzel to be out for long, I think, and, and Reus expects to be back for the Bayern game, perhaps, even though he obviously shouldn't rush himself too much. But, you know, aside from personnel, I would assume that you're basically going to, or that Favre is going to make the same kind of subs that he usually makes. But, you know, when you're, when, when you previously... Uh, chose which winger to replace to bring on fresh legs now you just replace both of them uh, if if you decided between bringing on an attacking player and solidifying midfield with uh, Delaney who's now going to be available as a substitute as opposed to Dahoud previously then now you can bring on Rayner and Delaney so I don't think it's going to necessarily make uh, the the thought processes too different, but you know there are just more options available, and I think the 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 smart thing to do would be to go for the freshest legs on the field at all times, and obviously that's kind of an exciting prospect when you have a lot of exciting attacking talent in your team as Dortmund have. So let's get ready for more Rainer and maybe even you know a little bit of Götze sprinkled in, which. Would be nice because uh, it's nine games and see you later. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I, I don't even know if we've discussed it yet, but uh, Mario Götze has obviously announced that he will leave Dortmund at the end of the season. Um, any comment on that? I'm actually not sure he has announced anything, uh, but he doesn't need to because it's quite obvious and everybody's reporting it. So he's changed agents. He's now being rep uh, represented by the same person who represents Andrew John, for example, and he, uh, Reza Fazili is uh, the agent's name, and he 
according to reports, is letting his contacts do the magic uh, in in Spain and Italy mostly. But you know, due to coronavirus and those two countries being hit quite hard by it, uh, there's always, I guess, the chance of always uh, of of also going to England, which <laughs> has also been kind of uh, hit hit quite hard uh, by coronavirus. So. It's it's definitely an unfortunate situation to be a high-priced free agent in the summer. I mean, uh, Dorp, uh, uh, Götze's uh, wage demands are one of the main reasons why he's not getting another contract at Dortmund, and he's not going to get that kind of contract anywhere in the world right now. Uh, that's that's completely unfeasible. So he has to kind of make a decision that's aside from monetary reasons first i think he should go somewhere and i hope he goes somewhere where he can just be a happy football player you know whether if that's uh you know uh, italy fighting for a champions league spot instead of fighting for uh, winning the champions league with an english club then just go ahead and do that i mean you have nothing left to prove you are going to be a father uh, i think later this year uh just go be happy man all right uh i i i completely sign that um uh one last question about the substitutions uh, it's a bit more tongue-in-cheek who do you think will be the first coach who after like 30 minutes or so uh <laughs> pulls the trigger and subs five field players out all at once who's gonna be that tantrum guy that's a good question <laughs> I know. I I I I really hope we see at least the quadruple substitution. If it and if it's you know match day thirty four and you know that's two teams that have nothing left to play for, I just hope someone gives us that picture of four guys being subbed on at the same time because it would look ridiculous. But uh, let's say Bruno Labbadia for Hertha on the final match day of the season. You know what? I totally forgot that Bruno Labbadia is not a Hertha coach. Uh, has it been and Heiko Herrlich, the, the Augsburg coach. Oh. There's two coaches who've been appointed for weeks who are now finally going to have their first match. Yeah, see, so basically they had a little bit of preseason. Um, um, yeah, but uh, let's discuss Hertha on another day. I, if I'm not mistaken, Dortmund still play them this year, yeah. right? So um, yeah, yeah. So there's plenty of time to <laughs> discuss this wreckfest. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I think uh, we, are, we are almost done here. Um, we only have uh, predictions left and one announcement. Um, Lars, uh, who will win the derby and by what scoreline? Well, first, let me preface this by saying or relaying that there's kind of two schools of thought with these uh those games coming up I think it was Freddy Bobic former Dortmund striker not a very successful one at that um, who predicted that there's going to be uh, goal fests galore and a, a number of you know five to five games or whatever that was a, a few weeks ago and then today I think uh, Julian Nagelsmann Leipzig coach actually said he's going oh he's he expects uh, teams to sit back much more than usually try to defend because that's easier than attack and be creative and he expects a lot more goalless draws Nagelsmann's school of thought is uh, probably that uh, you can't be abused by the home crowd if you just sit back and pass it around right yeah, that, that might, might be uh, you know uh, a thought you that that you have to at least have with your coaching staff but 
Uh, I think it's probably going to oscillate between those extremes. I don't necessarily expect a couple of 5-5 games. Uh, I'm not sure we've had a 5-5 game in the Bundesliga ever. Um, so for for this Revere derby, I I will tell you honestly, I have no feeling whatsoever what's going to happen. I mean, neither positive from a Dortmund perspective nor negative. I have no clue what to expect, but when when you don't have a clue, uh, I think it's almost I'm almost duty bound on this show to go with the housewife tip of a two one home win. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, I will go down a different route and I will uh, take the school of thought from Freddy Bobic and the school of thought from Julian Nagelsmann and I'm just going to predict a 5 nothing win for Dortmund. See, there you go. <laughs> just that easy. Uh, I, I think my logic quick, is... Here. Quick maths. Yeah, it's completely uh, flawless logic applied here. So, um, you know, um, but yeah, as I, as I just teased, we have one announcement to make and that is uh, the Yellow Wall Pod has a giveaway... Um, we do have a T-shirt from uh, Marco Royce, the uh, good old Marco Royce and his label back in the day. I think it's from 2015, if I'm not mistaken, and it's uh, one of his three monkeys. I think it's the one that's holding his mouth. Um, and uh, yeah, it's also signed by the player. And all you will have to do is once we uh, tweet that picture out of the uh, winnable T-shirt is follow us and retweet it and that's it so uh good luck everyone out there we'll uh i think ship it all around the world unless uh the u.s postal service gets completely dismantled in the meantime as always thank you for being on here Lars, and uh, providing your expertise in the uh, in the wake or not in the wake but uh, in the absence of matthias and constantine who just left us completely hanging ahead of this all-important revere derby um uh, maybe one one last personal question: Are you looking forward to this game at all, or uh, are you a bit torn? I expect it to be torn, but obvious. Uh, but but honestly, I'm I'm kind of fine right now, at least with the prospect of getting to watch live sports. I mean, maybe it's going to be super weird on at at like three thirty five on Saturday German time because you know there's no crowd noise game is super slow or whatever but i i haven't watched any of the the k-league games without <laughs> uh, supporters i think that's the, the the only fix of live sports you can could have in the last few weeks unless you had uh, weird connections and were able to watch the belarusian or costa rican cup or whatever i think there were a couple of games that 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 some degenerates were probably able to watch but uh, for me, this is going to be the first taste of live sports since March 11th. I think that was the, the Dortmund game at PSG. So there were a couple of uh, Europa League games the Thursday, but I didn't watch any of that. So it's been a while. And, you know, watching sports is some of my favorite thing to do. I mean, uh, it's obviously also kind of my job. Uh, and, and it makes my job easier to have games and not report on people talking about when games might uh, restart. So from all those aspects, I'm kind of looking forward to it, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's not going to be my cup of tea. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i not on a 10 out of 10 yet on the excitement level, but I can sense a little bit of excitement uh, within me, but uh, that can also very quickly fade away. So um 
not holding my breath on the uh, all-in-all success of uh, the restart of the Bundesliga in this mode. Um, uh, I think Konstantin uh, said on the last episode what uh, Ultras think about the entire restart. And if you want to uh, hear what he said, just listen back to that episode. Uh, meanwhile, for us, it's now time to get out of here. Um, Lars, again, thanks for being on here. Please tell our listeners how to get in touch with you. Uh, just follow me on Twitter at Lars Pollmann. Very well, and you can follow me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter. If you want to follow all of us, do that on Twitter and Facebook at YellowWallPod for our written content. Please check theyellowwall.net, and if you want to sponsor an episode for 10 bucks a pop or just uh, become a regular patron, go to patreon.com slash theyellowwall, and we are all uh, hopeful that Dortmund can pull out three points somehow, and uh, with that, thank you all for listening, and goodbye.